enter the world of fantasy, mystery, and excitement with Mickey and Minnie as you solve the mystery of Mickey's missing friend. This is Mickey Mousecapade. Welcome to Nostalgia, chronological exploration of every NES game released in North America. I'm Mike. I'm Sean. I'm Joe. And did you guys catch that interesting bit of Disney trivia there? Alice is only friends with Mickey Mouse, not Minnie. Yeah, Minnie and Alice famously don't get along. Now, are are Mickey and Minnie like a couple? I can I can never really remember that. Like, are they just really close friends? They're a couple. There are a couple. Okay, so yeah, I mean, I get it. I mean, she would be very angry if, you know, if if the the guy has more gal friends than, than she has gal friends. I, w- I mean, you've been in that situation before, right? Yeah, that, that, that human girl he's always hanging out with. Yeah. Uh, of course, you know, there's there's also more important things to talk about than just Mickey's friendship uh, with... I prefer to talk about this. <laughs> yeah, all right. That, that, that's good. Uh, you know, because this is also the start of Capcom and Disney uh, and their like little video game romance. I don't know if you guys know about this, but there's like a bunch of other Disney Capcom games on the NES, but also on the Super Nintendo and the Sega Genesis yeah. and stuff like that. You guys have any experience with any of those other ones before we start talking about Mickey Mouse Capade? I owned, I um, so. yeah, I owned the uh, Great Circus Mystery, uh, okay. which, which was a Super NES game, and like when I actually, because of this episode, I, I went and watched some footage from it, and it was a blast from the past. I remembered most of what was going on, including some of like the boss designs. But I was like five or six years old at that point, um, and I guess I didn't realize how easy it was because I guess one of the main uh, one of the main complaints for the game was that it was easy. But I guess it's also for kids, as pretty much all Mickey Mouse games should be, right? I would hope so. You know, Most. can we talk about Mickey Mouse for a second, though? Because th- the mouse himself hasn't gotten, like, a ton of love in the last, like, 30 years or so, other- outside of, like, some things like Kingdom Hearts and, you know, Disney World, like, has Mickey Mouse everywhere. But he doesn't get, like, there's no movies about Mickey Mouse. I, I think there was, like, a House of Mouse TV show on Disney Channel, but, like, the- even that's now a while ago. What do you guys think is up between Disney and the mouse? I, I felt like when I was, you know, growing up and everything, I really did. I mean, I knew of Mickey Mouse as this mascot, as this, like, uh, this, you know, ubiquitous character that's everywhere. But I don't think I ever knew anything about, like, his character. I don't think I had ever seen him in anything, actually. Like, it's not like I had ever seen Steamboat Willie or any of that. I feel like he just kind of, like, he, he like, transcended, like, actual story and just became, like, the face of Disney for a while. At least, in, at least in my experience. And then I know like they have things more recently, like Epic Mickey and stuff. It's the only thing I can think of that like that I would have been interested in that was like strictly Mickey Mouse-based. I mean, not including Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, I, I think I agree with Joe here, where it, it just sort of turned into Mickey Mouse as just uh, a manifestation of the company now. Like, he's not in anything, but uh, they're going to use the ears... As as like a as an icon from now until the end of time, even though <laughs> there won't be any actual 
like film or TV with him in it for another hundred years, I think. Yeah, I'd argue even that like making a Mickey Mouse movie would be a mistake on Disney's part. Like at this point, don't do anything with him because it would probably uh, be uninteresting or uninspiring and diminish the character at this point. I think Mickey Mouse is kind of, you know, he's Walt Disney just now as a mouse. And another reason why you don't really want to use Mickey Mouse that much is because then you wind up with video games like this, uh, which, you know, (laughs) totally not conflicting my viewpoints here. But let's talk about Mickey Mouse Capade. It's a a platforming game where you control, uh, somehow control both Mickey and Minnie through about four or five stages. And you throw these shooting stars at uh, various enemies from all different types of Disney uh, games and uh, Disney movies, rather. Uh, And they're all doing this to find Alice from Alice in Wonderland. I suppose to rescue her from her nap. Uh, But, like, like I guess that would make Mickey trapped inside her dream. But we're not going to get into that. Uh, Let's just talk about the game overall. Sean, what were your feelings on it? My my first thought was that this game sort of controls like Ice Climbers and Smash Brothers, uh, but not as intuitively because they it's not like one will automatically because you're controlling both Mickey and Minnie at the same time, and it's not like one will automatically do the exact same movement. Like you're just controlling both of them from like the the, the positions that they're in, so you can really mess yourself up because of that. Um, That was my first thought. And my second was uh, that I really hated the fact that the music just kept repeating. (laughs) Yeah, that's a huge problem in in these NES games when they just have like one track on the jukebox and they just keep replaying them over and over and over again. Uh, To go back to your Mickey and Minnie thought there, because I think that that is important. It's also important that they didn't just make them 1-1, one, one, though, right? Because otherwise they'd just be on top of each other at all times and there'd be no reason to have Minnie yeah. there. I mean, one But they could that, have done it better. Yeah, one thing that we played recently that sort of had multiple characters being controlled by one input was Ghostbusters. Uh, I don't think that they should have done gone that route <laughs> either. But in that, it was just they would... Uh, each character would mimic your input... Uh, but somewhat delayed because they're behind you, if you know what I mean. Um, yep. So I don't know which way would have been better if you just got rid of the press A to step forward button. Um, but I mean, it wasn't it wasn't like this ruined the game. It was just an oddity that I thought was interesting. Yeah, it was weird because I feel like there are a couple ways you can do it. And I don't think it's necessarily like a complete no-no to do it where it's one-to-one exactly. You just have to have the character that's behind be like a second delayed so that they're never literally right on top of each other. Kind of like if you like played like Final Fantasy VIII. Yeah, I all that's my other thought. Yeah. Exactly the same. Um, granted, that, that makes the gameplay a little different where I think that the fact that they're not stuck together completely made some, like you said, Sean, some some annoying things possible that mm-hmm. I definitely do not think were intentional. And also some interesting, like, helpful things that I still don't think were intentional. I think there's some ways you can kind of cheese this game because of that. Yeah. Like, you can get Minnie stuck somewhere while Mickey is safe, and Minnie cannot be hit. So then you, you're you just kind of safe. But then on the, on the other hand, you might just be focusing on Mickey for a minute. You're right at the spot where you need to leave. 
you're running away from an enemy and then you can't leave because you realize Minnie is stuck three levels below you, like stuck on like a, <laughs> a, a wall or something. <laughs> so I, I don't know if any of that was intentional, but if it was, I think they could have designed some interesting, you know, mechanics around it. Yeah, I mean, also the the laws of Minnie throughout the game do change quite a bit. Like she she can't have any damage done to her by enemies, so she just can walk right through them. But if since you control Mickey primarily, if you successfully jump over a platform, but Minnie doesn't, if she goes into pitfall, she, that's a game over for both characters. Yep. So it, it is a little strange to have Minnie. Um, act like the ice climbers from Smash Brothers, if we're going to use that analogy. I do think it's very clear. I think that helps paint a picture. Yeah. If we're going to use that example, what would have been better off is Minnie just also, like, respawning later on somewhere else. You know, like, if she falls, it's no big deal. Um, but also, like, you know, if she's going to be... If, if she's going to fall and, and that's going to end the game, she should also be responsible for taking damage as well because she can shoot stars of her own, uh, that that Mickey can't. So if they're both able to to shoot stars and they're both able to you know traverse, they should be also accountable as the same thing. No, I I mean I, I agree. Like in in principle, I would I think that that would be a much more uh, a, a much worse experience because we would be getting hit a lot more. Um, yeah, right. They would have had to design the game with the idea of like Mickey and Minnie working in tandem on yeah. separate parts of the stage, right? Yeah. If they wanted to do it that way. Yeah, I, I think what, what you mentioned about Minnie falling and that suddenly counting against you bothered me a lot because, first of all, the entire first level, which is pretty long, nothing can do damage to Minnie. So you're already kind of conditioned to like, okay, she can fire, but you don't, but she doesn't get hit by things. You don't have to worry about her. Now, by this point, it's like, there's just like too much to think about. Like, okay, so you got to focus on Minnie when things are coming at, or Mickey when things are coming at you. Don't worry about Minnie. But when you're jumping, you have to worry about both of them. And like, let's be honest, like at a quick glance, you, it's hard to tell which one's which. Like, and Minnie has a bow and like a, like a, like five pixels of a pink shirt where like Mickey doesn't. But like, otherwise, <laughs> like they, they're just, it, it's pretty easy to confuse them. And I, I feel like in the levels where you have to look at both of them, it gets a little, it gets a little confusing because I'll be like, wait, which one's in front? You know, because the one in front is the one that you're always like primarily like controlling. Yeah, uh, like in the first step, the first level where you're, I think it's the fun house. Uh, yeah, where you just sort of traverse tr- through the same room over and over with different colored walls. Um, I noticed that oh, she fell down the ladder, and like oh, that's weird. That's when I noticed that she that she's also like a physical character in the world and not just sort of mimicking your actions. Um, and I'm like, but that's okay. I finished the level. That level was pretty easy. And then we get to the ocean, and they've got these like tidal waves that come get that come for you. And if you try and sort of do some weird movements in the air to to just like delay your fall so you don't get hit by the tidal wave, she will fall between. And end your run right there. It it's it's odd. I guess that's just what my uh, how my opinion on it morphed over two levels. <laughs> yeah, no, we should talk about the the platforming aspect of the game because it isn't it isn't uh, opposed to using mechanics that you might see in a Super Mario Brothers style game where you have to jump from platform to to another ledge to even carrying momentum from one section of the stage to another later on in the game and like i think the castle stage 
there's like specific elements of platforming where there are different ledges. And it's actually, I think, purposeful to design a challenge where you have to make sure that both Mickey and Minnie successfully land on each of these ledges. Because if you get to the end with just Mickey, you can't progress to the next stage. You would have to go back down to the beginning and work through it again as a team. So I definitely think like some of this stuff is purposeful. But then back to that level you were talking about, Sean, the, the ocean level, the second stage, there's very little intent on the platforming there. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever played Super Mario World. It's my favorite Mario of game. Of course. But it, it, there, there's a level in that, in that game early on where it's a water-based level and a bunch of dolphins like run into you and, and you can ride the top of them, but you're also trying to like actively avoid them. And it all makes sense. Like they're purposefully placed. It's easy to jump over one or land on another one to help it carry you along. Like it all, it all checks out in this level. Instead, birds just fly from any particular direction. <laughs> if, if you dodge the first wave, there's an automatic second wave right behind it that is guaranteed to hit you. Uh, you know, like there's there, the jump mechanic doesn't allow for anything other than like, close to frame perfect inputs yeah. to make sure that you get over both of those waves. And so you're pretty much just damage rolling through this stage to make sure that you, uh, that you continue to progress along because otherwise you're just going to keep getting hit by the waves yeah. that keep coming. So what I, what I notice, and usually when we talk about a level design like this, the culprit usually is that they just have, it just like is randomly spawning enemies just so that there's something on the screen for you to have to dodge or move around or kill. Um, but the, I, I had to play this level so often because I kept dying from the boss too. Um, was I would I would take it very slowly, and I noticed that if I was slow, the the, the enemies weren't spawning on the same screen. So it's it's somehow worse to me because it means that these were hand placed poorly, not just like oh it's just random and it's bad because it's random. It was just bad placement. Because they put them there themselves. <laughs> yeah, it's like they thought, like, what would be hard? Oh, it would be hard if this and this and this were here. They didn't think about spacing them out or putting them in a way where it's a fun game to try. And, you know what I mean? Like, it's hard to it's hard to articulate, I guess, what, what we mean exactly. But it's like... No, I, I think I think it makes sense, though, Joe, because it's... it's The difference is, is that there are times in this game where things are done really... Uh, you know, they're done well and they're done with intention... And so, therefore, it kind of seems to me like the whole game was made with, uh, you know, with details in mind. But it just seems like at other times, the details that they include are just too punishing for the game that they're playing. You know, like it, it doesn't make any sense to to program the two waves to go back to back or uh, later on to have like certain enemies immediately as you enter a screen they're just on top right. of you you know right yeah. yeah it's like they didn't put thought into like okay what would be the, the best timing for these to come up to make this like an experience that feels challenging but attainable not like just okay this is just a mess and i gotta kind of like spray and pray and hope that i hit what i get what i'm what i'm going for you know and then there's also the shooting star uh our only weapon in the game and this is a a super uh, annoying complaint from me, but I do think it's valid. It's the only weapon in the game. So why do you have to find it first? Like, what is that all about with going to the treasure chest, 
and finding the, the the shooting star. Like you should just have that available to you. It's like Mickey never learned the powers of shooting stars until he found it inside that one well, chest. Well, here's the, the thing, house. Mike. Mike, the the they were Capcom was bound by the Disney Incorporated deep lore, and because <laughs> in previous iterations or previous movies, Mickey never had a shooting star power. Uh, so he had to go and get it first. Uh, I hope you understand. Now I yeah. would argue that that's not true, though, right? Because didn't he like in the in the VHS home videos of all the Disney movies? Didn't they start with Mickey as the Sorcerer's Apprentice, like shooting a star out of his hand? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> so think, he clearly yeah, had this power. Which one inspired which? I don't know. Were the VHSs inspired by the NES game? <laughs> the you VHS. Tell me. It's not the. It's not the actual movie. It's just on the VHS. <laughs> uh, um, no, I agree with you, Mike. That the uh, that I, I think it's weird. That was a weird decision. But to play devil's advocate, I think I can see the argument for it. I don't think it necessarily works in the way that they that the way that they did it. But I guess there is like something to having to get through like a portion of this level where you don't have a weapon to then see how how that changes when you do have it you know what i mean like i'm thinking of pokemon and when they first introduced like running shoes into pokemon they would make you walk for the for the beginning of it for the first you know 20 minutes half hour of the game and then get the running shoes so you can be like oh wow these running shoes are great because they make the game easier uh like i said i don't think it necessarily accomplishes that like something that needed to be accomplished but i can see that being like an argument it's a kind of tool that you uh that you see in much more uh much deeper games uh i I guess it's sort of like a uh like a film student putting like symbolism into their into their like student film like the, the, the game like the, the student film doesn't require this symbolism, right, yeah. and this game doesn't require that technique. Do you kind of know what I'm saying? Totally, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like there's not enough to this game to be like, wow, this is going to make it so much more... The People are going to appreciate the stars yeah. so much now. Yeah, the argument there, of course, is that we've already been trained on NES games like Metroid to believe that, you know, it's okay to learn power-ups and, you know, acquire these things as you go through. But you need, like, you need more treasure chests with more active, like, shooting power or something throughout the game as well. And this isn't a Metroidvania. Nothing nothing <laughs> else happens. You just find the shooting star and then it's like I, don't I know, hope you Mike. enjoy the one the first, power up the first level's pretty metroidvania <laughs> <laughs> well you know it's funny because you can uh even though joe made it seem like you know you learn how to play the game without the shooting star first and then you get the shooting star you can just not notice that that that, that door is there and you can just continue on with the rest of the level never getting the shooting star and make it all the way to the boss Obviously not able to defeat the, it's like a witch or something like that. Not being able to defeat her, and then you have to then re-traverse. It's actually better at that point to just reset the game, but you could <laughs> yeah. decide to like re-traverse all the way back to the beginning and go through that door you missed. Yeah, I think that they must have realized that kind of, that oversight or that kind of mistake 
before they release the game because the manual like yeah. clearly is like do this this and this to get the star first thing you should do is just go here here it like it like walks you through where to get the star because it's like you should just start with the star we they know. panicked they realized <laughs> yeah. after the fact right. like, i was gonna really mention to that this. like the, the manual is like half half strategy guide for the first level um and it's like when you use these hints like quote unquote hints it's more just stuff we forgot to communicate to you through yeah. gameplay. <laughs> You know, are there any enemies in this game that aren't annoying? And I don't mean, like, just from the way that they, like, populate the screen or the way they attack you, but I genuinely didn't find any enemy in this game uh, fun, approachable, <laughs> uh, you know, cute in character design. It's just, it Ooh, all I just have exists. One. I have one. Yeah. The blue okay. eels are, they don't really do anything to annoy you. They just sort of scurry about and... They're not super fast like those little dog things, and they don't bounce around like those blue bouncy balls, and they don't fall uh, in, in like within the same frame like those chandeliers. It's they just sort of exist. The yeah. chandelier is the worst. The chandelier is the honest, worst. Right? Yeah, especially because sometimes the first time I experienced the chandelier, it was before one had fallen on me, so it was just a part of the background, and I just jumped. It didn't fall. I just jumped and hit the chandelier and died. And I didn't even know that anything was there. I just thought, like, I've seen those chandeliers before. I didn't know it was an enemy. The first the first time I saw a chandelier, one fell on me. So I was afraid of every chandelier from there on out. Um, as far as another enemy that thought was, I mean, I wouldn't, interesting is a, maybe an overstatement, but that was, like, remotely, like, recognizable, at least, were the brooms. Yeah. And I just found that interesting because it was the only thing of the, of the main enemies that I was like, oh, that's a Disney thing. Yeah, the rest were just weird, weird yeah. shapes. Yeah, unless like our Disney knowledge is like really deep Disney knowledge that that we don't have, but uh, it just felt weird that there's like oh this one enemy that's that's a recognizable Disney broom, and then there's all these other things. Are there a lot of pooping birds in Disney movies? <laughs> well, I think those are just projectiles, right? Like it's not <laughs> it's not necessarily shit. It looks like shit. All right. Well, you know, it's funny because even what Joe was talking about there is like you might need some deep Disney lore. Uh, <laughs> you kind of do because like did the people who made this game ever watch any Disney movies? Like what is – there's no coherency to what's going on here. I mean if we could just jump ahead to the end here for a second. The final boss is Maleficent. Now why would Melissa, Maleficent have Alice from Alice in Wonderland captive? That's not even the same game. Hey. That's not the last time that happens. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that maybe she was trying to just gather the seven princesses of light, you know? I, I guess that maybe they hadn't. Maybe it was we have all these assets. We have the rights to these characters because we've given we've been given carte blanche by Disney. Um, and they're like, oh, Maleficent looks cool. And, you know, Alice in Wonderland sort of looks like a like a damsel in distress sort of thing. So... They just cobbled together the 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 best like Super Mario like knockoff they could. I don't know. Like, I, I can't say I'm talking about Capcom, so this feels really uh, this feels really bad. But I don't know. I, I can't I can't tell you. Are you ready for the the bad news? Okay. A Famicom version of this very game exists and has all of the correct enemies and bosses. So you're playing against Mickey specific enemies. 
so it, it, in the first stage, as I already alluded to, there's a witch in at the end of uh, like to be the boss of, of the fun house. And apparently, you know, <laughs> here's some deep Disney lore for you. That witch is called Witch Hazel, a Donald Duck character, like exclusive to Donald Duck cartoons. That's okay. what you get in the American version. But in the Famicom version, it's the Cheshire Cat from Alice in Wonderland. That kind of makes sense, right? I guess. Yeah. yeah. Right, that you would fight the enemies from Alice in Wonderland. Now, But was the Cheshire Cat an, an enemy, you know? I never saw Alice He was in deceiving. But wasn't he like a helpful? <laughs> he smiled he was a was deceiving. Lot. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then and then the final boss, instead of being Maleficent, is the Queen of Hearts. Now, why change that if it's in the Famicom yeah, but, okay, version? But who's the Queen of Hearts? The Queen of Hearts is the bad woman who locks, who like sentences Alice to trial. So this is an Alice in Wonderland deep lore game with Mickey just in it. Mickey's in it because Mickey is, like I said, Walt Disney. He's just Walt Disney trying to rescue Alice. His IP. Yeah, his IP. <laughs> from from the public domain. <laughs> okay. I, I really appreciate this reading of it. I, I like this yeah. much better. Okay. Now, the game overall in the, for the Famicom version obviously focuses more on Alice in Wonderland, but it also includes Captain Hook as a boss on the like ship level. Now, with Robin what's Williams? weird? What, no, 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 not Hook, Captain oh. Hook. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's weird about this is that in the American version, uh, it's it, there's no Captain Hook, and I just think that's baffling because the box art for Mickey Mouse Capade on uh, in North America has the crocodile from Peter Pan right on the box. So if you're including like the idea that Peter Pan. Would be in this realm, you know. You don't have Peter Pan in the game. You don't have Captain Hook in the game. I don't remember seeing the crocodile, but he's on the box. Okay, he's on the box, so he better be in the game. But why remove Captain Hook? There can only be one captain in this game, and that's Captain Commando. (laughs) Wasn't the crocodile the boss of the second level? Oh, yes, that's right, that's right. Okay. No, I was thinking about the ship stage. Like, why wouldn't he be there? But I guess if you're removing Captain Hook, why have... The crocodile show up in the what's supposed to be, you know, Hook's <laughs> ship as you're as you're going right. through. Really, what I'm saying is that the Famicom version is Kingdom Hearts, and the North American version <laughs> is just some, you know, uh, early version of like how anime wasn't cool yet in America, so they just said screw <laughs> all that. We'll just make some nonsensical story that kids will appreciate A- instead. Anime still isn't cool. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The so. Uh, the Famicom version had all the Alice in Wonderland enemies, but uh, going back to that deep lore Joe was talking about, the American version features enemies from The Jungle Book, Country Bear Jamboree, uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, Sleeping Beauty. So yeah, they just chose movies that we wouldn't necessarily be looking for those types of enemies. We can't we can't talk about how the game sucks until we talk about the boss battles. Hmm. Let's hear it. <laughs> because because that is just a, a very strange idea. I, th- I think they kind of like they saw what happened when you have the fire flower in Super Mario Brothers when you're going up against Bowser, but they forgot that like most car- most players won't shoot Bowser to death. They'll just jump over him and land on the axe. So See, I never in- did that. <laughs> You're talking to the wrong guy, Mike. <laughs> got it, got it. Well, you see, what I'm saying is, is like, 
this game <laughs> takes those same elements of like bosses that will shoot projectiles like crazy, keep in mind. Uh, and you have to, you know, be on the same platform as them and just kind of trade off shots with them. But they shoot so much faster yeah. than Mickey can shoot that if you're not trying, if you're not like being really good at dodging and also like kind of reverting back to if, if it's on platforms, like going lower, if you're not doing that kind of stuff, uh, you could die very fast. But if you do that kind of stuff, you could be in for like a, a five minute boss battle with some of these <laughs> and with some of these yeah. bosses, right? Yeah. The, the alligator one specifically with it just, of, of it's just a barrage of, of projectiles moving on uh, on different trajectories, so that it, you really, I, I can't think of a way that I, I would be able to get it without getting hit, um, uh, because the, they're not, there isn't like a designated safe area, like if you jump in between them, because there's always another wave behind it. So yeah, I, I agree that the the way that they designed. Uh, the, the bosses here, it, it's just sloppy. Yeah, and going back to like the yeah the, the lack of intent and in things, it does feel like that there that there are sometimes just like that that the projectiles are just so randomly placed that I think there could be wrong, but I think that there are times that you literally can't. It's literally impossible to avoid hits. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong, but it felt it sure felt like that. Um, and then on the other side of it, in the first boss battle against against the witch. Uh, I don't know how you would beat it other than, I mean, how you would not get hit other than the way that I eventually learned you can do, which is climb up the ladder as Mickey and Minnie, climb down the ladder, but as soon as you step off, move to the side as Mickey, so Minnie is stuck on the ladder, (laughs) climb back up the ladder as Minnie, she's up there, she can't get hit, Mickey's down below, he's safe, and you just fire away. Wow, you've got got this whole thing going. (laughs) Yeah, this is like... This is like for for speed running. This is the, this is the game FAQ version. <laughs> yeah, I say use every mechanic the game gives you to your advantage. But I can't help feel that these boss fights are like, you know, you know how like when you're playing some some JRPGs or just or just you know tough bosses in general, they usually have like one devastating move that you have to watch out for. But thankfully, it just happens like. It happens for, like, a short instance, or it's an attack that does, like, a lot of damage, but they only do it once in a fight. I feel like that's just what these bosses are doing at all times. It's like, they start with their final move, <laughs> and they just and they just keep unleashing it until you die. It's supernova over and over. Right. Uh, okay. Uh, any other thoughts on the game from you guys? Um, Not really. It's kind of sad how much lack of intent and, like, weird... Weird enemy designs. It kind of sums up the game. I I guess I get one thing. I, I did appreciate yeah. that each level played kind of differently, even though that that execution uh, left something to be desired. But the fact that you're going from like uh, a maze of a house and then a more a more stereotypical uh, platforming experience in the second level, and then uh, a a wood maze after that. Like I appreciate that it switched up its its gameplay loop a little bit. Yeah, I think what we have here is a game that tried to like take lessons from from good video games and and at some points applies them correctly, yeah. but the overall execution just kind of stumbles. And I think of things even like when you jump you can you can change the momentum of your jump like a like a long press will will jump you higher 
than a than a short press, which is great. You know, like that's that's what we look for in good jumping mechanics in NES games. But if you jump forward and then you realize you're going to land into an enemy, if you try to move backwards, you just fall straight down. Or like many will at least. Yeah. Yeah, but you like you can't change. You know, you're not like so floaty and so in control that you that you could really platform in this game the way you want to. So I think like the ideas were here, but I don't know if they if they quite landed on them. I, I will say that uh, landed platformer. <laughs> Uh, I will say that to Capcom's defense, this was a Hudson Soft game, and yeah. uh, probably Capcom learned some lessons from this and might have said, like, you know, hey, in the future we might have to develop these games ourselves if we want a relationship with Disney. Yeah, that makes sense because I mean they did get better. Like my experience with the Super NES games uh, tells me that um, they're not they're not groundbreaking, but they're. They're definitely got more spit and polish. <laughs> there is one really cool thing about Mickey Mouse Capade, though, uh, that has nothing to do with the actual game. However, if you take the cartridge out of your NES and you unscrew it, uh, they put a hidden Mickey on the actual uh, circuit board. Do you guys, are you guys familiar with the concept of hidden Mickeys? Yes. <laughs> But that's are you serious? Physically, there's a hidden Mickey there. There's a physically there. It's a you know it's probably programmed to nothing, but it's like soldered on as as the Mickey Mouse ears. <laughs> that's cute. I like that. You know, like that Disney yeah. Disney does that all over the theme parks, and I just thought it was like a really nice touch to also have that hidden on the game. I wonder whose decision that was, since no consumer would ever really see it. It was probably you just know? some guy that was in the that actually worked for the company that manufactured the cartridges. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. It's probably it is probably something. You're not like supposed that because, to see that, <laughs> right? Right? Yeah. You, I mean, I'm sure in the NES manual, uh, amongst other things like "don't sit on your cartridges," I'm sure that it also says "don't open them" or you'll like <laughs> void warranty. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's just that's just a cool thing. I thought. And then in the realm of not cool things, uh, IGN put this as the 86th greatest NES game of all time (laughs) on their list of the 100 greatest NES games. And we've played, I don't know how long ago, to be honest, I I should, it's probably old now and they probably like know because people probably call them out about this. (laughs) But I would just say that like, We've played a hundred and almost one hundred and thirty NES games, and this it's would already fall lower into eighty six. Right, right, right. <laughs> this, yeah, this would fall maybe into our top one hundred right now, but has yeah. like zero chance of keeping of staying with that momentum as we get closer to the other seven hundred. Yeah, I have to the other agree. 600. Otherwise, we're gonna have a very bad time for the rest of this podcast. Yeah. Okay, so look, there are so many Mickey Mouse video games and there are so many Capcom Disney video games that we are not going to do an extensive sequels and spinoff section here. Uh, we, can, we can talk about the games that we'll be seeing between Capcom and Disney on the NES that we haven't played yet, such as Adventures in the Magic Kingdom, uh, okay. Darkwing Duck, DuckTales 1 and 2, The Little Mermaid, Tailspin, and Chippendale Rescue Rangers 1 and 2, which is very personal to me and Joe. <laughs> well, half um, of it is. You know, yeah, all the stuff yeah, with Dale. Yeah. <laughs> Just wait till you get to Dale. 
Yeah, it's so much better than Chip. Uh, Sean, are we'll you excited for any episode. of those? The only is the Adventures in the Magic Kingdom, the one where you're kind of like you you have like a world map that's just Disneyland. You know, I don't actually know if you get a world map or not in that game. I thought it was just separate stages in right. Disneyland. There but, is yeah. an NES game that my stepbrother owned on a really janky old NES um, that it kind of just looked like you were you were walking around Disneyland. So whatever game that is, I'm interested to review that because it's... I feel like it's got to be that one. Yeah. So uh, that's it. I don't really know anything about Chippendale. <laughs> okay. No, no worries. Uh I know something yeah, about Chippendales. Probably for the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Chippendales for sure. But Chippendale Rescue Rangers 1 is a game best played without any spoilers. It's it's really that it's really that great of a story. <laughs> it's not the story that it gets spoiled. Okay. It's the, it's the gameplay. Uh, <laughs> okay. Anyway, I needed to use this sequels and spin-off section because there's no other time we'll get a chance to talk about this um, in the rest of our shows ever. But Mickey Mouse has a very complicated relationship, I guess, with North American games because there are a series of Mickey Mouse games both on the Game Boy and the Famicom that just never come to North America except for they, they kind of do. Do you want to know what I'm talking about, Sean? I, I have no idea, so please enlighten me. Uh, okay, so it starts with Mickey Mouse 1. Okay, that comes out on the Game Boy in 1989 in Japan. Okay. But in North America, it comes out as Bugs Bunny in 1990. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it's the same exact game, but with a swap of the, the characters. And I just... Of a competitor. I'm just not sure how that's legal. Like, can you do that? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, as long as they don't own the code, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, and to be clear, this is Bugs Bunny's Crazy Castle, which I'm sure uh, people know of, but uh, it's just referred to as Bugs Bunny on the startup Bugs screen. Bugs Bunny so I think never that's had funny. a fucking castle. He was always... Oh, you don't know Bugs Bunny Crazy Castle? You don't know that, that series? It's like there's four of those games. No. no. Oh, okay. It's great. They're great games. Uh, okay, but the story, the story continues because uh, Mickey Mouse 2 came out on the Game Boy in Japan in 1991, in Japan, in yes. North America, it comes out as Bugs Bunny Crazy Castle 2. Wow. So it just continues, right? So obviously when Mickey Mouse 3 comes out uh, for the Famicom, what are we going to get, Sean, for the North American release? A, a Bugs Life. We're going to get a game in North America called Kid Clown in Nightmare World. Mayor spelt like Mayor, Mayor de Blasio. Oh. Yeah, like like Mayor. M A Y O R. That is the nightmare Night world. Mayor world. <laughs> now, I don't know who Kid Clown is, but is I it, don't understand why they couldn't a, have Mickey Mouse. Is that a city is management it, game? It's not. It's um apparently it takes place in Kansas. Kid Clown. Okay, so it's a city is, management game. Is it at least spelled like K-N-I-G-H-T? Like you're a night mayor? No, it's N-I-G-H-T. Uh, okay. It's even worse. Uh, and what's funny is we're going to have to play this game. So I can't wait for and that. I'm looking forward to it. Especially <laughs> knowing that I'm actually supposed to be playing a Mickey Mouse game. <laughs> okay, and of course, we're not done. There's one more big one because I said there were four Mickey Mouse games. So Mickey Mouse 4 comes out in Japan on the Game Boy 
1993. It comes out in the United States in October of 1993 as what, Sean? Uh, Bugs Bunny Goes to the Circus. <laughs> How about The Real Ghostbusters? Are you serious? <laughs> it, it's The Real Ghostbusters on Game Boy is actually Mickey Mouse 4. But Everything it doesn't end connected. there. It doesn't end there, Sean, because the European version, they couldn't use Ghostbusters. They couldn't use Mickey Mouse. They couldn't use Ghostbusters. So in Europe, the it's game gets released game. <laughs> as Garfield Labyrinth. I had to look. I'm sorry. This is... I cannot believe it's a Garfield game after all that time. <laughs> I hate Mondays. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, was this just like like all like the main like mascot characters were just like passing around this code and making games out of it? Like, was there like a a reason they were like, oh, you got to use this for your character? Like, what? I don't understand why it was. I mean, I guess Ghostbusters isn't really a mascot character, but I am. Well, no, apparently it was. Remember, Ghostbusters is a huge franchise, not just one That's movie. That's true. Um, I would imagine that because Kemco is the developer of all of these games, that it has something to do with like them not being able to retain the rights throughout, you know, like international releases and having to look for another IP that they can, uh, that they can like partner with and then just reskin the game, you know? Yeah, this is, this is bizarre. It's a, it's a rabbit hole that we had to go down because I'm not sure when we'll ever be able to talk about it again. Yeah. Anyway, we're done having fun. It's time for the essential games list. Sean, I'm going to need your vote for Mickey's Mouse Capade. Well, I think uh, we it deserves enough respect to call it by its real name, which is Mickey Mouse Capade. And I think that any I felt so bad. I felt so bad when I said it wrong. I knew I botched it because people call this game Mickey Mouse Capades, referring to both Mickey and Minnie, but it doesn't have an S yeah. anywhere. This is a singular monolithic game it does not need pluralization but even though it is that it's it's not going to be on the essential games list it, it, it commits too many sins and it's it's just just not my type of it's, it's not my my can of jam you know what i'm saying i i hear you loud and clear buddy uh joe what's your vote well, actually, earlier when, when you asked us if we had any more thoughts about the game, I feel like we accidentally kind of just had a little essential games list there. We each said our little yeah, piece. So I, I feel like it, it, it's kind of, you know, cat's out of the bag. But, um, but yeah, I mean, just this game being so... The, the unintentional part of the design, I think, is, is the worst offense because it just makes this game, I don't want to say unplayable, but definitely unfun. Like, it's a very frustrating experience. Uh, so I'm going to also say no. All right, and you know, while I'm thankful that this game kickstarted the Kingdom Hearts universe, <laughs> I I just cannot I cannot sit here and put it on the essential games list. Let alone say it's the 86th best NES game of all time. I definitely won't do either of those things. So right now it's a no, and when we finish this whole podcast in 2033, it'll be a no then too. Well, it's not counter chickens before the hatch. Oh, that's true. That's true. It might actually have like a renaissance. You know, I usually right. listen to public opinion. So if public opinion changes on Mickey Mouse Capade, uh, you know, maybe there's just something about that game that we missed. Yeah, it's like how a lot of art isn't appreciated until like long after the artist is dead. And then people are like, oh, my God, we missed this beautiful art piece of art. So once yeah. once these uh, 
anonymous Japanese developers die. <laughs> yeah, that's more morbid than I was trying. To yeah, well, yeah. Once once Tetsuya Nomura dies, then this game will become invaluable because, as, as Joe and I were talking in the pre-show, which nobody can listen to, uh, we were talking about the fact that you know in, in Mickey Mouse Capade will eventually work its way into Kingdom Hearts lore, just yeah. like all other video games will eventually. Like God of War on PS4 will find its way into Kingdom Hearts by the end of the universe. And I just want to state real quick that just because you had a conversation before we recorded the <laughs> podcast, you don't get to call it the pre-show. All right, thanks for that, Sean. And, and you know, <laughs> while everybody's still listening, I think it's important to note that our next game is Millipede, the arcade classic. Uh, we're going to be playing a lot of arcade games, uh, you know, if you haven't noticed already, with Joust and Galaxian and... Um, Defender 2. We're, we're also getting Millipede, Pac-Man, and probably some other ones that uh, I can't think of right now. But who cares? Because they're arcade games. You've If you've ever walked into an arcade, chances are you've played these games. But maybe now is a good week for you to just kind of like revisit, you know, Millipede and, and ask yourself, like, why do I step on Millipedes when I see them on the game? No, Mike, you're, being, you're not being sensationalist enough. You won't believe what you forgot about Millipede, and you'll find out next week at, on Nostalgia. Maybe I should start titling the episodes as clickbait. Yeah, six things you wouldn't know about <laughs> Kid Clown in Night. Number three will blow your mind. <laughs> All right, uh... <laughs> Number th- numbers three will blow your cartridge. Um, yep, that's all the time we have. We're, we're we're rambling, so thank you so much for listening to the rambles. And also, just quick shout out to everyone there who doesn't like sections of our podcast but chooses to continue to listen anyway and just use the chapter marker feature rather than delete the episode entirely. Uh, that's a big bonus to anybody who does that because. You could very well say, I'm done with these guys. They're washed up. They used to be cool, and now they're not. But you don't. You continue to listen to us. And if you want to hear more from us, it's at NostalgiaCast on Twitter. Lots of cool stuff posted there. And also, uh, I'm Michael Esposito. You can find me at, at Esposito Film on Twitter. And I'll talk to you soon. 